most of the week, really. And um, for me to do the next part of Hebrews, I would have needed to have spent some you know, late, late hours uh, into the night to do the necessary hard work of study to do that well and properly. Um, but meanwhile, there's this other series that I've wanted to do kind of every half term or so on discipleship, the disciplines of grace. And I already had some notes ahead on the next one or two of them. I've got two more, I think, you know, but one to do one today. So I thought we'd do this today, which is a kind of half-termly thing, looking at what it is to be a disciple and about particular ways in which we, dis- we discipline ourselves to pursue and to receive the grace of God. All right? There is a discipline to grace. Having you know, it takes thought and a little bit of effort to pray or to open your Bible and to read. You have to make some choice about it. You have to allocate some time to it. And when you do it, you find help. It's a discipline of grace. Many of you were, were very encouraged when, when I did fasting, first Sunday in January. Remember that one? 3rd of January, fasting. I had more feedback on that than anything in a long time. It was quite extraordinary. So today we're doing the discipline of joy. Joy, thankfulness, and rejoicing. Lord Jesus, we pray for your, your presence, your grace, the help of your Holy Spirit now as we search Scripture together, think these things through. Seek to discipline our own hearts before you, to say we want to serve you, Lord, and want to draw closer to you, we want to walk as you walk, to be your disciples, following you. Amen. The people of Israel were repeatedly commanded in the Scriptures to rejoice in the Lord and to rejoice before the Lord. In five major feasts of Israel, they were commanded to come together to the feast to bring food, to bring wine, to to bring enough to give away to others, and to celebrate and to rejoice before the Lord. It was a command. You will rejoice before your God. Now, the New Testament tells us the same thing. It doesn't say, here's a nice idea, if you'd like to. It says very plainly, rejoice in the Lord. I'll give you two examples. We're going to do a few this morning, but here's two, two finalists to start. You do finalists at the end of the sermon, not the beginning. I know, but let's go. Finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. That's grow up, mature. Be comforted, strengthened. Be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. By the way, there's, there's copies of notes available, and... Um, It'll, someone will be up on the internet later on today and when you come not today but later in the week there'll be CDs as well of this morning for you to pick up and take away for those help you and then in Philippians which is really a, you know, if you give Philipp, the book of Philippians a title it would be the letter of joy three times there Paul says something like this finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord To write the same things again is no trouble to me and it's a safeguard for you. So today I want to talk about the discipline of joy. Sounds like, what do you mean discipline of joy? It sounds like conflicting things. How can it be joy if it's a discipline? Well, let's see if I can convince you. These disciplines of grace are things we choose to do 
in obedient faith. And as we do this thing in obedience, in faith, God supplies his grace to us. We respond to his grace by acting in obedience and use the means of grace which he's provided, including breaking bread and prayer and worship and these different means of grace. And as we obediently act out our faith, we receive more grace. Because as I read from Isaiah 12 earlier, it only occurred to me as I was standing there earlier, read Isaiah 12, Wells of Salvation. There is always more grace available to us. In fact, every bit you'll ever need. How many of you sometimes are putting up with stuff when you actually need more grace? Every bit of grace we'll ever need. So firstly, we're talking today about joy. Joy is much greater than fun or pleasure. We tend to busy ourselves with substitutes for joy. We, 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 we kind of, we want, we want it, but we can't get it, so we, we make do with something else. The substitutes are things like jo- jokes and joshing, you know, have, poking fun, having a game. Jollity. Comedy is big business, do you know that? Stand-up comedy and the comedy shows, the touring comedy shows, they're every bit as much big business as, as, as live music gigs. Because people want to laugh. Pleasure and fun can be part of joy, but they are not joy. Laughter may be an expression of joy, but laughter in itself is not joy. Joy is wonder more than wit. It's amazement more than amusement. Joy celebrates, not criticizes. Have you known most comedy has a cut to it? It's a sharpness to it. it, it it's, it's, always, it's, always, it's always putting something down to make the person funny, to make the person bigger. Joy celebrates, not criticizes. Joy can be expressed in tears and silence as well as laughter. And the joy we're particularly talking about today is the joy of the Lord. Joy in God and the joy of God. Now when you come to an expression like the joy of God or the love of God or the peace of God, we've got to go back and do some thinking about the nature of God. The source of joy is God himself. You see, before anything was made, God, the Holy and Eternal Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, shared together love and joy and peace. The love flowed between them. They loved and honored one another. And the peace was the outcome of that love. It was the fullness and contentment and serenity of the love within God. And the joy was the enjoyment and celebration of that love that was within God. So, let's ask a question then. So, why did God make us if he was having such a good time just being him? The answer is this, the generosity of his heart. He wanted to share himself 
with people who could respond to his love. He wanted to share his love and peace and joy with us, to bring us into eternal life, the life of God himself. And so the love and the joy and the peace that was only within God before he made anything would be shared with us. Big problem, we rejected his love. We rebelled. We sinned. It's called the fall. You read about Genesis 3. God's answer, he'd send his son. God would so love the world that he would give his son up to the cross for us. So that whoever believes in Jesus will be brought into eternal life, the life of God. Brought into the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God. God made the way back to bring human beings into relationship with himself through Jesus. Now I want to tell you something else very important. Jesus is concerned for our joy. Jesus is concerned that we know joy and live in joy. There are three scriptures where the Lord Jesus speaks about us sharing his joy. I'm going to read them to you and I'm going to read them again in a while when we say something about them. Here's the first one in John 15. Just as the Father has loved me. Do you see that love within God? Father and Son. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide, live and remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Jesus seriously says to us, I'm saying these things to you so that my joy may be in The joy that I have in relationship with the Father, that same joy may be in you. And that your joy, your enjoyment of that, may be made full. Next one's in John 16. Jesus here is talking about prayer. In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Is Jesus concerned about your joy? Yeah. Ask. Come on. And you'll receive. So that's it. Your joy may be made full. And now here's Jesus praying in John 17. Praying to the Father. Praying the evening before he goes to the cross. And this is part of his prayer in John 17. Now I come to you, Father. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. And I mentioned those again, about the things that Jesus points us to. But just first of all, get this clear. Jesus wants you to have a share in his joy and for his joy to fill you. He teaches it to us. He prays it for us. So I've got six things to mention. 
that will lead us to joy, to discipline of joy. You think, six, don't worry, my notes are not long. There's five pages there instead of eight or nine as usual, so come on. First one is obvious, really. Number one, the love of God. Joy in God is our enjoyment of the love of God. I could read you Psalms, Psalm 103 and other Psalms. You know, rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because his loving kindness endures forever. The goodness, the kindness, the love of God is the root, the cause of our joy in him. We've been saved by the mercy of God. We're being saved by the grace of God. God never lets go of us. He never gives up on his children. And we say, thank you, Father. We rejoice in you. The love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We can have times of, of, of experiencing emotionally the love of God for us. Therefore, this joy is also called joy in the Holy Spirit as well. See, the love of God has rescued us through giving his son Jesus up to the cross and he's forgiven us and freed us from our sin and restored us to relationship with himself. And the Bible sums that all up in one word, salvation. So Psalm 195 says, verse 1 says, Oh come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Isaiah 12, I read earlier, which I didn't put in my notes. Uh, says the same thing. Let's come on, let's sing for joy. Why? Because he's the rock of our salvation. He's rescued us and restored us to relationship with him. When King David had sinned abominably, his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51 included this. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Why? Because it had gone from him. He knew its loss, its lack. He was no longer living in enjoyment of relationship with God. And his prayer, deep, heartfelt prayer, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with your willing spirit. This joy in salvation is joy in the rescue of God and relationship with God through Jesus. So how do we handle this in kind of a disciplined way? Well, we need to remember. We need to remind ourselves. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to remind us. We need to review and relish the kindness of our God, the love of our Father. Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And obedience is part of that. But, but also meditating on his love and remembering and rejoicing in his love is a very important part of that. Be reminded. Be refreshed. Open your heart again to the Holy Spirit to communicate to you the dear love of Father, Son and Holy Spirit for you in all that they have done for you from before time. Oh, come and let us bow down. Let us worship. He's our maker. Let's pick up a couple of words here. Let's think about them. What is it to rejoice? These are not dictionary definitions, they're mine. So if you look up in a dictionary, I'm probably wrong, but I like, I like to say this. What is it to rejoice? It is to put on joy and to c- conduct yourself joyfully. Right? If I say, rejoice everybody, you go, very good, very good. 
reminds me of one or two services I've been in where, you know, the person at the front says, lift your hearts up to the Lord, and everybody goes, we lift them up. <laughs> to rejoice is to put on joy and to behave joyfully. Right? Simple as that. That's what rejoice is. You choose to act in a certain way and act out in joy. That's what it is to rejoice. What is it to enjoy? It's to find joy and to take joy. See, you can eat a meal and just think, oh, it's a bit of grub. Or you can eat a meal and really appreciate that you're eating this food and you're grateful for it and you're giving thanks to God for it. Yeah? Do you know, all foods are clean. Nothing's to be refused if you receive it with thanksgiving. Jesus pronounced all foods clean. If you want to eat caterpillars, go ahead. Don't ask me to join in. Some people do. (laughs) But you take joy and you find joy. And therefore you enjoy. You receive it as from God. Now, actually, here's a little test. Here's a little test of how to judge things in life. Is this appropriate for me as a Christian? Can you thank God for it? All right? Can you honestly thank God and enjoy this, giving thanks to Him? If the answer is no, it's probably not appropriate. You see, but it's allowable. All sorts of things are allowable, says Paul, but not all things are profitable. Not everything does you good. But a very sharp test is this one. Can I give God thanks and receive this as from him? Second one of six is truth. We understand the love of God through the truth of the gospel and through the truth of the scripture. Therefore, Jesus said in his prayer, I come to you and these things I speak in the world. You know how important to me are the words of Jesus himself. Jesus had spoken his truth to the disciples and through them to be carried into the world so that his truth might bring us to joy. He told us the truth so that we would know the truth and be set free by the truth and the truth would bring us to have his joy made full in us. That's why you will never really experience joy if you're messing around with error. And with falsehood. And if you're, if you're deceived in some way, you'll be struggling in an area where you've, you've received deception, you've allowed something which is untrue to take hold of your thinking. There's a stronghold of wrong thinking. You'll struggle. You won't find joy in that area because it's not covered by truth. It's not unlocked by truth. So the discipline of joy in handling God's truth is to read it and memorize it and be filled with it and to rejoice in the truth. Here's how Paul describes being filled with the truth of Jesus. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You thought he was going to say with scriptures, but actually the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are the way we helpfully remember scripture very often. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let truth dwell in you richly. Let that produce thanksgiving 
and rejoicing, as well as care for others. You're encouraging them and, and challenging them, admonishing them with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and so on. So the second one is truth. The third one is answered prayer. Not just prayer, but answered prayer. We experience the love of God as he hears us in our crying out to him, in our asking of him, and he responds to us. Now, that doesn't mean that an unanswered prayer means God doesn't love you. Love you. It means his timing is very different to yours. All right? But in answered prayer, we know again and again the love of God, and therefore we embrace the joy of knowing God. Jesus said, truly, truly, I, you will not question, in that day, sorry, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, that's amen, amen in Hebrew, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Now I know I say these things often, but let me just say again here today, the Bible does not teach us to name and claim or to decree and declare. In fact, more than a dozen times in Scripture, Jesus puts this word together with the idea of prayer. It's the word ask. As simple as that. You ask and you trust and you believe and you wait and you depend upon God, and you keep looking to Him, and you keep asking if, you, you know, if the next day comes and you haven't seen the answer yet, you ask again. You keep asking. Jesus says prayer is asking. People are trying to make it into something else are not following the teaching of Jesus. And we're to pray with thanksgiving. This is another scripture from, from Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. Why? Because it's not good for you. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Does it say name and claim or decree and declare? No. Let your requests be made known with thanksgiving, to God and the peace of God. You know, see how peace comes in here as well? Serenity in God's love, contentment in God's love. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Why? You're told not to be anxious. How are you going to be anxious? Because your mind and your heart get guarded in Christ Jesus by the peace of God as you've brought your requests with thanksgiving. The Thessalonians is a similar thing. Barely said Thess- Thessalonians then, didn't I? Rejoice always. Pray without cease. Now you think some people when they're praying, oh, they get so, so, you know, kind of. I, well, there's something about being intense in prayer, but you know what? These two things go together. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. They're not like one thing's way over there and the other thing's way over here. They, they're mixed together. We can be in trouble and yet rejoicing. We can be in distress and yet giving thanks. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Oh, I want to know the will of God, David. Give thanks. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's the will of God for you. To be someone who gives thanks and rejoices always and prays for that season. So the, 
the discipline here, the, the kind of choice to make, is to pray and to trust and to hope and to receive from God with thankfulness. I've said years now that there is an art of prayer. A-R-T. Asking, receiving, and thanksgiving. Go back again, do it all over. Ask, receive, give thanks. You ask in faith. And when it comes, you remember that you asked. Now, I, I'm sometimes very bad at that, you know. Someone says to me, how's, how's your, your, you know, whatever, because they saw me limping, how's your leg now? And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, it's better, thank you. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, people prayed for me to get better, but I've forgotten. Watching for the answers that God gives us and giving thanks for his kindness matters as much as asking in the first place. Asking, receiving, giving thanks. Answered prayer is a route to joy. Jesus says it. Jesus teaches it. Come on, ask of me. Ask the Father in my name that your joy may be made full, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. Number four, is obedience. And we come back to the John 15 scripture here. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Live and remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. Jesus calls us to obey him so that we may enjoy him. Disobedience is a block to enjoyment of God. Bad conscience defeats joy. How many people can agree with me on that one? You reckon that's true? Yeah. Okay, so just about every Christian will readily accept that to be true. King David knew it to be true. 1,000 years before Jesus came. He sinned and lost joy. He lost the joy of knowing God's rescue and relationship. But there was a route back. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Disobedience, not doing what you know to be right or doing what you know to be wrong, will be, sure as, sure as eggs are eggs, will build a wall between you and the joy of God. So demolish the wall. Tear it down. Turn to God in repentance. Say, I'm sorry, Lord. Here I am. Help me. Whatever he says to you, said Mary, do it. Do it by the help of his grace. Do it by the supply of the Holy Spirit. Do it graciously. Do it without complaint. Do it because when you obey him, you will know his joy over you and in you. How many would you understand if I talk about the smile of God? You know God's pleasure. You've done the right thing and you know your Father's pleased with you. Isn't it a precious thing? My old colleague Toppy says, there's nothing like having a happy God. You know God's pleased. But he tells you when he's not pleased. Obedience. Not obeying him will cut you off from enjoyment. Of relationship. But 
That is a temporary obstacle. It's not as big a thing as you think it is, and the, the devil will tell you it is. It can be dealt with. It can be put away. Repentance, restoration, reformation are possible because God's grace never runs out. Number five is thanksgiving. I've already mentioned a few scriptures that include a commandment to us to be thankful to God. It's the opposite of grumbling and complaining. The children of Israel, having been saved from slavery in Egypt, were very good at grumbling and complaining. They complained through almost 40 years in the wilderness. And their constant grumbling and complaining offended God. They didn't whine and dine, they whined and died. You can read in Psalm 78 or 106, for example, they'll give you the history of their behavior and God's response. We're going to deal with that when we get to Hebrews 4 about the rest and so on. The New Testament holds up these people who knew the deliverance of God from slavery in Egypt and yet did nothing but complain and rebel against him and against Moses for 40 years as examples to us. Here are your examples. And we go, what? Yeah, don't be like this. Don't be like this. Do you get it? Here they are. <gasps> wow! Don't go there. Be grateful. Be thankful. Jeremy Taylor, who was a late Puritan, wrote two famous books. One's called Holy Living and one called Holy Dying. Makes a good pair there. And he said this, which many preachers have quoted over the years. God threatens terrible things if we will not be happy. He means happy in him. Content in him. There's a discipline of giving thanks. I know the Americans have Thanksgiving and they do it once a year in November. But we're to be people who are thankful people all the time. I remember my great uncle who was a farmer. And uh, you know, he wasn't very good at going to church, but there was one Sunday in the year he would not miss. Do you know what it was? Harvest Thanksgiving. Harvest Festival. He would walk into church and he would sing and pray with all his heart to thank God for his provision. That's my Uncle John. Give thanks. Do it regularly. Do it, Bible says, in all things. That doesn't mean you thank God for the thing, necessarily, but even if it's not a happy time, it's not an easy time, it's a difficult time, you still nevertheless give thanks in the situation. We're to be people who rejoice in hope, even in trouble, even in distress, even in opposition, even in persecution. Rejoice in that day and be exceedingly glad to Jesus. We go, what? You rejoice because there's something far more important, far bigger to you than the trouble you're in. It's called the love of God through Jesus our Savior. You're rejoicing that that rescue and that relationship has not changed even though this is a hard situation. You're rejoicing in God, not in the situation. See, we talk about happiness. Happiness in some ways is to do with the happenstances, the circumstances, whether this is making me happy. But whether this is making me happy or desperately unhappy, God is still my salvation. He's still my rock. There's something far bigger than that. We can rejoice in the Lord. Give thanks. It's God's will for us. And the last one. Oh, 
That was five, thanksgiving. Six is joyful worship. Joyful worship. One of the hallmarks of charismatic or Pentecostal Christianity is this. We're noisy. (laughs) We make a racket. We sing loud. (laughs) Some preachers preach loud and pray loud as well, but uh, uh, that's not me, that's the microphone. Um, Let's go back a thousand years before Jesus again. King David becomes leader. But King David was also a worship leader. And he brought in a huge reformation to to the whole life of religion, you might say, in Israel. See, he brought in music and thanksgiving and choirs and orchestras and things who, who celebrated in the temple. And people would come in and it was no longer just the sound of animals being killed. But, you know, it wasn't all about blood and fire anymore. This was about celebration and thanksgiving. The Psalms got written, many of them, you know, in David's time, and many, some of them later. And these were the songs of Israel. They stood and they sang. And they gave thanks. And wherever there is spiritual Christianity, that flavor still comes through. Well, even gospel Christianity, I would say. Musical, noisy worship and celebration. And it's great, isn't it? There is, though, just this possibility. That we get so clever musically and technically that we forget what we're doing. We forget this is about being joyful in God. The songs are to serve as statements of our faith. We're to, we're to encourage and challenge one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So the songs have to say something that is even worth our repeating to one another. Yes. Do you remember we were just singing it? You know, we say, yeah, 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 that's, yeah. No, I know you're down today, but you know, we sang it on Sunday. It's still true, you know. We confess the truth in our songs. And they're expressions of our wonder and joy in Him. We do not come together to have a worship experience. And we certainly not, don't come together to watch a performance. We gather to rejoice in God and to worship Him. So, to turn that into a discipline of grace, go ahead, sing, speak, praise. You know, I long for times when, when we kind of have to say, okay, everybody, we need to stop now because we need to do something else besides worship. You know, rather than, oh, song's finished. Have we come with something to say to him? Is there something in our heart that wants to be expressed to him? Don't depend just upon the skill of songwriters and worship leaders and musicians and singers. You can sing. You can sing in the shower, in the bath, in the car. If you've got a good voice, you can sing when other people are around. If not... (laughs) You can rejoice whenever and wherever you want. Just don't inconvenience other people by doing so. Yeah. There's a little proverb that says, Cursed is he who wakes his neighbour with a loud voice in the morning. You know. (laughs) Hallelujah! Show shut. Just don't inconvenience. You see, that's not the loving thing, is it? To no. be a pain to people. All right? So if you, don't be a pain to people, but make it take every opportunity. Sorry? They can get earplugs. Yeah, we won't go into that one. Give thanks. Take the moments. Buy up the time. I know a few people. I'm not, I'm not going to say who. I'm not even going to look that way. But I know people who regularly drive along in the car singing and shouting and having a merry time with God. 
Why not? People outside just think you're on the phone. <laughs> Memorise songs too. I know we put songs upon the board, but, you know, I've been, you know, you know how old I am, so. I've been a Christian a long time. In my early days, you know, we didn't even have overheads on the kind of acetate thing. We, you know, there were songs, we just learned them. We learned, they're still in my head to this day and some of them are scripture songs, which is why to this day there are moments when I remember a song which helps me to remember a scripture. I've often been helped in dire moments by remembering a song or a hymn from years ago and finding them to be a comfort to me. Memorize songs. You know? I mean, you, you can ask, can I, have a, can I have a copy of the words for that one so I can go away and read it and stick it in here? See, things have to go in here so they land down here and then the Holy Spirit can bring them back out again. He can remind you of what you already have seen, what you've already read. Why pursue the discipline of joy? I do not have six points now, I only have two. Why should we pursue the discipline of joy? Two reasons. Number one, because it's good for you. I could have done it in the other order, but let's do it this way around. Because it's good for you. I'm not asking for an amen here. You can... <laughs> Life can be hard. Work can be hard. Raising a family can be hard. But they are even harder if we grumble and complain through it. What's already hard gets tougher because of our attitude. And unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and anxiety are simply very bad for us. They're bad for our character. They're bad for our mental and physical health. Now that much wisdom the world will give you. You don't have to come to church to get that wisdom. They'll tell you the same thing. Those things are bad for you. They'll eat you up. They'll chew you around. But the Bible has a prescription for us. It has a cure. And it's this. Rejoice in the Lord. Give thanks in all things. You take hold of the attitude and you refuse anxiety bitterness and resentment and complaining. It's much better for us to choose an attitude of thankfulness and rejoicing to God, together with forgiveness and mercy to others and trust and hope in the Lord's goodness and wisdom and powers. The Bible tells us rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We're used to singing it, aren't we? Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say. Yeah? Rejoice. We all sing it. Let's do it. Let's refuse to be embittered and anxious and grumbling and complaining. Let's take those things captive and chuck them down and say, no, I'm going to lift my heart to God in Thanksgiving. Because, uh, okay, you think I'm already kind of getting in there and being a bit sharp. How about this? We choose our attitudes. We choose 
our responses. We make them happen. We take on a frame of mind. And again and again, we can choose to complain or to celebrate, to give thanks or to grumble. But such choices in time shape us and define us and become part of our character. So I say to you today, pursue the discipline of joy and rejoicing and thanksgiving because, here's the thing, it is good for you. It's good for your character. It's good for other people around you too. They'll enjoy your presence a lot more. The second reason is this, because it glorifies God. Maybe I should have put that first, but if you say things last, that's the last thing you remember. It glorifies God. Titus 2 verse 10 says, we're to adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour in every respect. Adorn the doctrine. It's like hanging baubles on the Christmas tree to adorn something or to to put on the nice jewellery on a lady's ears and neck and so on. You adorn something. And we, by the way we conduct ourselves, adorn the gospel. We decorate the truth by, by visual examples of why the truth is the truth and why it matters to us. Our choosing to be a thankful, rejoicing people glorifies our God and our Saviour. But if we live in grumbling and complaining, we actually dishonour him just as the children of Israel did. Here's a scripture that summarizes this for us. It's quite long enough for it, put it too small. Do all things. That's past tatu tatu in no, it isn't water. Anyway, Greek. All things. It's a big it's a big phrase, all things. It means it means, you know, all things. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. The Christmas tree decoration isn't so far from this, is it? You appear as lights in the world as you decorate the gospel, holding fast the word of life which is the gospel, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or torn in vain. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, therefore, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. It's that Philippians letter, the the letter about joy. And you notice here the contrast. Rejoice in the same way as I'm rejoicing over you, says Paul. And come on, do everything without grumbling or disputing. Because when you do that, you demonstrate that you're the children of God, shining as lights in the world. You see, I've got some bad news for you. The world judges our message by looking at the messengers. And before you cry, that's not fair, the Bible backs backs them up. It says they're entitled to. They should know the gospel is real and works because it's real and working in us. We're part of the evidence. So the scripture actually commands us to be joyful and to rejoice in the Lord and do everything without grumbling and complaining because it's glorifying to God. It 
adorns the gospel. It demonstrates that this thing works. That everything that Jesus came to do and to teach is real. It happens. It's good for us. Therefore, choose and pursue joy in God through the discipline of grace called the discipline of joy. It has practical issues of rejoicing and thanksgiving. It has heart issues of the way we choose to adopt an attitude towards things. And it has day-to-day issues of how we engage our minds. Do we review? Do we reflect? Do we meditate on the love of God in Jesus to us? So that we maintain a thankful heart. I tell you what, I have a couple of times in my life been somewhere so hot, so dry, so arid and whatever, that when someone gave me a cup of cold water, my goodness, did I give thanks for just even a cup of cold water. The very simplest things can be a a thing you enjoy because you give thanks to God for them. Or you can be so used to riches and, and, and fancy this and posh that that nothing, nothing gives you joy. You know, the very rich people don't really have any more joy than you do. Because joy is not found in things. It's only found in God. The joy of God is our strength. It's joy in God that will take us through the hard times through the trials, through the opposition, through the persecution. It's joy in God. Here's a blessing for you. Colin, you need to come and be ready to lead us in breaking bread. Now may the God of hope fill you. Lighthouse Harlow, listening. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.